Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everybody. So this show is brought to you by LairdSuperfood.com. This is something I'm really proud of. I'm going to do my very best to at least have whatever sponsors we have be something that I'm passionate about, I use in my real life, or something maybe that I've just been exposed to that I want to share with you. Laird Superfood was born out of a habit that I watched Laird for 20 years in our kitchen make these drinks, coffees and teas and smoothies, trying to figure out how do I make it taste better and perform better for me. And literally, this is genuinely how this business was born. So I'm excited to share with you about LairdSuperfood.com. And you can go there and get a 20% discount at your checkout. You can punch in Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y, the number 20 for your discount. And it's Got completely all natural ingredients, all four MCTs. There's no artificial flavors. This is really important. I can get into how difficult that has been to do no artificial flavors. There's no highly refined sugars. You don't need to refrigerate it. And for my vegans and vegetarians, it is plant-based. So for those of you who are trying to sort of get away from dairy, especially on an everyday habit, all of the products are plant-based. And if you're keto, it checks that box off as well. So I'm excited for you to explore and learn all about the flavors, the original, vanilla, unsweetened, turmeric, cacao. We have mushroom blend, hydrate products that you can take all on the go. And if you're a person who travels a lot, trust me when I tell you, check out the InstaFuel. We've got unsweetened and regular. It's a game changer. So go to LairdSuperfood.com and enjoy. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hey, everyone and welcome to the show. I am very excited about this show because who knew that if you understand the menstrual cycle, you could weaponize it in a positive way. Well, this is how I'm looking at it. And my guest today, Elisa Vitti, who's an integrative nutritionist, she wrote The Woman Code and her latest book, In the Flow, really breaks down the menstrual cycle in a way of even days when you should be doing cardio exercises, when you should be lifting heavy weights, macro and micronutrients to support yourself, when you should be breaking up and firing, and just giving you that power to understand that we're actually also living besides our circadian rhythm, our infradium rhythm. And if you are a boyfriend, a husband, a woman, a father, you definitely need to listen to this and her own personal story to getting into her own health issues 
is astounding. She's clear, smart, strong, and I think this will help a lot of people that have to navigate their cycle every month and empower them in a real way. Enjoy. I've always found, especially from being broken a lot of times physically, that some of the people that I came across, they have natural gifts or healers, were actually some of the most hurt people. And then they stumbled upon a modality that they went, oh, that really worked. For me, it changed my life. And now I'm inspired to go ahead and and do this for other people. And so maybe you can just kind of share your own journey as to how you even got into you know, talking about the hormone systems and specifically drilling down even on, you know, women's cycles. So I'm a person who for the decade between the age of 12 and 22 years of age did not start my period in a normal way, did not have more than six bleeds, a few of which were chemically induced with synthetic hormones. I was developing cystic acne on my face, chest, and back. And then I was uh, moving up the ladder toward obesity where I topped out at 210 pounds and I am only 5'6". So it was quite a lot of weight. And this whole decade where, you know, girls are becoming young women and developing, I mean, I was not developing. I, I looked in a way very asexual, amorphous. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. not a lot of, it just wasn't happening. Yeah. And I remember feeling off. And I remember articulating that to my father, to my mother. But I like how you say to your father. Yeah, to my father first. I remember (laughs) vividly, we were at my younger brother's little league game. We were standing next to the chain link fence on the field. And I just said to my dad, I was like, you know, dad, something's not right with my body. And, you know, I was, I was young. I was maybe 14 or 15 And I said, I just don't know what it is, but something's not right. You know, I'm not developing what I said. And he, of course, like any parent, you don't want anything to be wrong with your kids. You're like, I'm sure that you're okay. And everybody develops at different times, which is a reasonable response. And my dad and I have have always had an extraordinary, very feminist relationship. Mm -hmm. He's an unusual character. Wait, what country are your parents from? They're from Italy. Um, my, My dad... My grandmother, his mother, was just probably an extraordinary person for him to be raised by because he, his experience of women is that, based on her, is just, just that they are totally powerful and capable and strong and leaders and decision makers and all these positive things. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because my father is an engineer and all throughout his career, he would go out of his way to hire female engineers on his team back at a time where that just wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And he was always extremely encouraging of me to just be whatever I wanted to be. So I, it's a gift, I think, as a young yeah. woman in a patriarchal society to have a father who, for whatever reason, champions you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we can we can hope that as many parents can do that for their daughters as possible. And so anyway, I, I remember sharing that, and I was also sharing it with my mother. Did you? What who, kind of reaction did your mom have? You know, she was also feeling like something was off, mm-hmm. and you know, we went to our my pediatrician, and then as soon as I turned sixteen, and I still didn't have a period, you know, we went to my my new gynecologist, and I was just told that. 
there was nothing wrong and that I should probably just get on the pill whenever I was ready to do so and that that would be that. And the pill meaning, oh, we're just going to do a blanket kind of cure to just, we'll just jolt all the hormones across into one level. Well, no, I we'll mean, just, we'll just, I mean, of course, this is not what they explained, but yeah. what, why this is a recommended approach for mm-hmm. period problems is we will just replace your dysfunctional hormones. We'll right. shut them off. As soon as you start taking birth control of any sort, it shuts off your own internal hormonal production. And we will dose you with synthetic hormones and that will give you at least a controlled response. Right. But my mother, my family as a whole, we were kind of all thinking like, well, let's not jump to that conclusion right away. Mm -hmm. Let's see if there's something else that we can learn. And I worked with so many different healers from naturopaths. I remember this one naturopath, so lovely, lovely man. He thought that I had a candida imbalance. This was back when that was in vogue. You remember that back in the day? So I remember he had me on this insane elimination diet. And there are photos of me that are, you know, because again, this is before smartphones. So there are hard copy photos of me where I had had so much carrot juice as part of this elimination diet that I, <laughs> you know, it's coming. I had changed hue, Gabby. I was, what color would I say I was? I was more <laughs> orange than I should have been. I remember my best friend, who's still my best friend, she just grabbed me one day. I don't know, we were putting, we were getting ready to do something in the morning. The sunlight came in and she just <laughs> might have not have seen it before because we spent so much time together. She's like, good Lord, you're orange. You have to stop drinking that carriage. And I said, no, I'm going to drink this until I'm better because I was trying all sorts of things to get results. Nothing was working. And at that time, I was already a student at Johns Hopkins University. I'm a a science nerd from the way back. And um, I was planning to become an OBGYN, always very interested in women's health from a young age, biology and health in general, and felt that that was my calling. My symptoms were getting much worse. So I was having extreme anxiety, extreme depression. My weight had ballooned. My acne was so profound. You know, like I would have to sit down. I was so heavy that I couldn't even stand up long enough to cover the acne because it would take about a half an hour. So I would, I had a little, in my dorm room, I had a little folding table and chairs that my roommate had bought to put in between our beds. So I would sit down on that with like a mirror And I would take prescriptives under eye cream Mm -hmm. because it was the only thing thick enough to cover the redness. And I would just spackle my face, but I would look, you know, really like pale. It was, it it didn't look natural, but it was, I felt better than going out, you know, red and inflamed. It was not good. And the period was not coming. I hadn't seen one in a long time. And so. And what about your other development? Like your, your. No, I mean, it wasn't really, I mean, I had. No, it was, it was not really happening. I still looked kind of yeah. like a amorphous person. So I remember, as any girl does on a Saturday night and in college, I was in the library uh, researching, you know, what could be wrong with me. And yeah. because I had access to one of the greatest libraries for healthcare on the planet. So I was putting it to good use. And I stumbled upon an obstetrics journal that talked about Stein-Leventhal disorder. And as I was reading this article, all the bells were ringing the checklist of symptoms. I was a classic presentation for polycystic ovarian syndrome. But this was 20 years ago now, Mm -hmm. Gabby. And this disorder was not as commonly known amongst gynecologists as it is today, even though one in eight women 
suffer from PCOS. And that, that is increasing actually now. Does it, does it look different? Like if a young person's listening or a mother of a daughter, does it have different looks? It does. So depending on the level of insulin sensitivity and the level of androgen sensitivity, your daughter could be more on the obesity side with, you know, hirsutism, which is hair growth in the places that you don't want it, hair loss in the places that you don't want it. But irregular periods are common throughout, but you can also have lean PCOS where physically they look totally normal, but their period is just also missing. Mm -hmm. So it just really depends on the level of inflammation, sort of the the root causes of how the ecosystem of your daughter's body and hormones has been interrupted by certain inputs and how that sort of ends up creating a PCOS-like response in the body. That's bad news, but the good news is because those are exogenous inputs, typically they can be corrected very easily and And in my experience, once I understood what was wrong with me, I took this journal out of the library, right? And I was so excited, you know, sad, but excited. And I went to this gynecologist that I had connected with at Hopkins for my care while I was there. And I waited for her in the morning where she was, you know, coming into the parking lot to come to work. I did not have an appointment, but I couldn't wait another day because it had already been seven years. I found out in the diagnosis and, and really a decade of not feeling right. And I, I just opened it up and I said, this is what I think I have. Can we do some testing now? Do you have time? You know, and yeah. she, God bless her, took pity on me. She took me in before her patient started and we did some testing and, and she, you know, we came back together and she said, you know, you're right. You do have this disorder. This is what you have. And I said, great. You know, I'm from New England. I said, great. Now what? You know, it's something in the water here. I'm like, let's, what do we do? Let's do it whatever is needed. And she said, I'm so sorry, we don't have anything for you. There is no cure. Your condition will worsen over time. It will increase your risk for diabetes, heart disease, cancer. And oh, by the way, uh, it's unlikely that you'll be able to have children naturally. You know, I'm, what was I, 20, 21 when she was this? Yeah. And she said, but don't worry, we'll medicate you along the way to address these things that will start to happen to you in increasingly, you know, symptomatic ways. And, you know, we all have these moments, I think, where whatever you want to call it, but for me, it felt like my cells. It wasn't like an outside voice. It was an inside Mm -hmm. game. My body, I heard very clearly, that's not your future. That's exactly what I heard. And I opened my mouth and I just repeated that. I said, that's not my future. Said, well, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. I don't know yet, but I will use my very expensively trained mind to figure this out because I am not, I said, fundamentally, you know, and I was perhaps a little wiser than my years, certainly looking back at it. I said to her, fundamentally, doctor, I am opposed. I mean, literally, I'm talking like this to her. My, you know, no adults were with me, you know. <laughs> I'm opposed to the premise that we would treat me with medication that is not curative Mm -hmm. for something that you yourself do not understand the root cause of. I'm opposed to that as a game plan in general. I would be 100% willing to do whatever you recommended if you knew why this was happening to me and that what we would be doing would fix it. I'm on board for that. But without those two data points, then your plan is equally inefficient as my potential not knowing what my plan is yet. 
right? If we have to just right. sort of judge it on statistics, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. or on face value or in game theory or however you want to look at it. But that was the way my brain was working. I'm a systems thinker, always have been. So I went back to the library, you know, and began research. I also then reached out to many, many practitioners. I was just very lucky. I, you know, Hopkins was doing all the cutting edge research around the epigenome and epigenetics. And there was one discovery that really changed the course of what ended up becoming the protocol that I used to resolve my issues. And that is part of my first book, Woman Code. What they discovered is that the epigenome, right? So they, they asked a question, why is it when you have identical twins, why is it possible? Why is it even possible if genes determine destiny? Why is it even possible that one twin could be perfectly healthy, but the other twin could get a, a terrible disease like cancer? How does that happen? What is the mechanism? And they were looking at the genetics. The genetics are identical. In looking and sequencing the human genome, what they discovered by accident was a ghost protein that wraps around your genes called the Mm -hmm. epigenome. And based on two things and two things only, does this epigenome constrict or expand around your genes, either activating them or suppressing them? And the two things are what you eat and how you're living diet and lifestyle. So if one's twin was a smoker living in an urban environment, high stress job, but the other one was an organic gardener, right, two opposite extremes, yeah. the epi, although the genes are identical, epigenomic right. function changed and one is healthy and one is not. And I said to myself, right. my goodness, if diet and lifestyle factors, and this is 20 years ago before functional medicine was even a term, before there were functional medicine doctors, I said, if you can manipulate genetic expression with food and lifestyle inputs, we of course can manipulate organ and glandular function in the endocrine system with diet and lifestyle. And then I began doing very methodical investigation into the endocrine system itself. How does it function? What does it do without us interrupting it? And there's a particular order and sequence to its preferred functioning. I then aligned my dietary and lifestyle inputs to support that endocrine function. And then I watched the resolution of my symptoms within about six months. Dropped 50 pounds, skin cleared up, cycle came back. I am happy to report I've been ovulating and menstruating for the past 20 years regularly. Things that were not possible were very, very easily possible for the body. And so it was a remarkable experience and it changed the course of my health, my life, but also my career. I became clear that practicing traditional, conventional gynecology in in that way was not the way I wanted to support women's health care. That I had I can say now after 20 years, I'm an innovative thinker when it comes to women's health. And so I wanted to be able to support women as best as I could. That started out initially as a small practice in Manhattan, working one-on-one with women. And then everything started to expand and and I built a virtual center that takes care of women everywhere now. So how do you, you know, it's already such a hard time, 12 to, you know, coming of age and What's in you in, the, in that time that, because to get up and face the day 
in a body that you don't get to control outside of like, you know, puberty, it's happening and you sort of go, this is what's happening. And I think we understand that. And that already has, we see young teenagers and we see how hard and challenging that is. What is in you that you like ride that out, you know, into college where you're, because, you know, I, I often think that like, if you have, for example, even skin issues, this is how we meet the world. And people don't realize when people don't have a solution or an answer to that, they still get up each day and meet the world. And like you even talked about the preparation to meet the world. Where do you get even just starting there, that strength to, to take it on? Gosh, I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that question. I mean, I think it's likely a combination of the fact that, so I wasn't going through puberty, right? So right. the things that were happening to my friends were not happening to me. And so I wasn't feeling bad at the beginning. I just felt like I've always felt, right? So I, I, there was just no real change happening. Then as I kind of moved into 15, 16, 17, you know, certainly the mood situation was starting to be affected and my fatigue levels. There was a lot. There was a lot going on. I mean, I, I remember in college, I would struggle. I had so much insomnia because of all the lack of progesterone. I could not fall asleep at night, no matter how hard I tried. And then I, I would sleep well into the day. And I was so, my whole circadian rhythm was off. Everything was dysfunctional. It was very hard to just do basic things. And I remember thinking to myself often that people take for granted their good health and lament, you know, so quickly little things that are not a big thing, like, oh, cramps, you know, some, now listen, I have helped a lot of women get rid of cramps and some cramps can be debilitating. But when you know that your missing period is the a problem that is causing a lot of things, you would be like, I would love a cramp, you know, <laughs> or yeah. anything that was indicative that my hormones were actually functioning. So I think it was a maybe just a combination of the fact that as a young person, I was a very precocious, academically gifted and confident young girl that, and that mm-hmm. was constantly nurtured by my parents. I also got zero negative speak about women's bodies and women's menstruation because of my immigrant family environment and relatives. Mm -hmm. There was no discussion about it. And that actually worked to my benefit because I remember sitting down for sex ed class in sixth grade and this thing, you know, menstruation was being discussed. I had never heard about it before. And I tell you, Gabby, I was so awestruck, so excited about this thing that was going to happen to me. I remember looking around the room at my friends in class like, oh my God, did you know this is going to happen? And everybody else is looking green to the gills, sick to their stomach, upset. And I'm like, I, I, I was like, it was over my head. I was missing a key memo. And it was, I was missing a cultural narrative that is very Western American, I don't know of, uh, you know, the curse. I just had none of it. So I did not go into this experience with a negative relationship to my body. I did not blame my body for anything that was going on. I said, something is off. And and it was like a puzzle that needed solving. And Mm -hmm. I was really good at doing that in school. And so it just, it was just part of my, who I am, I guess. 
Well, and it's also, I mean, listen, if someone comes to see you, whether now it's virtually or when they had the opportunity to see you in person, again, it goes back to you can relate on some level. And there's something so powerful. (laughs) Yeah, it's powerful when someone isn't just being academic about the information. And also, and you're dealing, and I want to get into in the flow, when you're dealing with these puzzles that are so very serious for people, and maybe there isn't an immediate obvious solution, you're like, okay, we're going to, we'll dig a little, we'll figure it out. Not, okay, well, sorry, you know, sorry for you. And that's it. What I am also really curious about though, is what foods did you add or eliminate that really did that six month, at least initially, that really improved for you specifically? Will, you're going to learn as we talk more that that is the wrong question to ask. And I say that with a lot of love because everybody yeah. asks me that question. There isn't a food to eliminate or to add. It's a method of approaching the body's function. So for example, right. one of the key things about the endocrine system that you have to just know forever is that its primary job is not your period, your sex drive, your fertility. That is the result of everything else that it does going perfectly correctly. Mm-hmm. The thing that it wants to do, the prime directive for any people who are as old as I am who used to watch Star Trek with their parents growing up, the prime directive, the most important mission of your endocrine system is to protect the transport of glucose to the brain, the heart, and the muscle tissue. If you do anything to interrupt that process, the rest of your hormonal cascade is screwed for the whole 24 hours. And if you do that on a daily basis, you then disrupt your endocrine system. And then you will see symptoms in your cycle, in your fertility, in your sex drive, whichever phase of life that you're in. So we have to understand that there's this cause and effect between how you are either supporting or interrupting Mm -hmm. the function of the endocrine system. And then you just don't have to ask the question of like, well, what's the food to eat? Because there's many foods to eat, many, and everything is fine. It's just about quantity, frequency. There's Mm -hmm. nothing off limits, really. I mean- Truly, in my experience, you can you could have gluten occasionally. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't recommend it on a regular basis. You could have sugar occasionally. I wouldn't recommend on a regular basis. You can do all things if the ecosystem is strong and supported, right? And a great right. analogy is your stress response system, right? Your body is designed to experience sporadic stress and for your adrenal glands, which manage the adrenaline and cortisol production for your body when it is encountering stress, for those to respond efficiently right? To produce just enough adrenaline to give you the kick you need and just enough cortisol to counteract that adrenaline to keep you safe. Okay, no problem. The body can do that. If, however, you are, and right now we're in the COVID quarantine, right? If you're somebody who's on your smartphone and you're getting triggered by the news every half an hour and you're having the adrenaline and the cortisol every day, day after day after day, your body is going to have symptoms of adrenal insufficient production, right? And so then you're going to have symptoms. So it becomes really a game of how are we supporting the function? And sometimes that's about removing lifestyle factors, but it's also recognizing that if you support yourself properly, the occasional birthday cake or 
whatever glass of wine or whatever you're going to do, your body is designed to absorb that, let's say dietary stress and be fine. As long as you've got about 80% support going, right? I always think too that, because I'm around a lot of people who are actually on the other end of the scale, right? Like they're, they never eat this and that and whatever. And I'm like, I think you're vulnerable also when you don't sort of stress test your body. I do. Like, you know, we live in a place with weird air and water and once in a while eating this food or that food that isn't considered healthy because I'm of the belief that your system has to be able to manage all of this. And yeah, you should 80% of the time. Or more if you can. More if you can. More is always good. But when people get rigid and that's its own disorder called orthorexia where you're overly concerned about eating 100% perfectly all the time you know listen if you're actively healing from a disease or disorder you have to be more vigilant as I was in the beginning but 20 years out I can tell you your body is highly adaptive and so intelligent Mm -hmm. and all you have to do is learn really about the function of how it works which is really the thing I'm on a mission to teach women and what I think is the key to unlocking and undoing almost a century of unnecessary suffering from menstrual issues, fertility issues. 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied. We can go on and on and on. When you say unsatisfied, they're not able to have an orgasm or they have libidos down. What does that Both. mean to Both. you? No, that's not to me. It's the research. No, yeah. I mean, meaning, the to, research. meaning yeah. in the research. So. Yeah. It's both. It's that they're unable to achieve a satisfactory level of pleasure and that they are also not finding themselves in a libidinous state often as they would like. Um, But we can dive. I know there's a whole chapter on that. Oh, so I don't want to I don't want to give away the flow. I want people to because it also can be used almost like a workbook. I feel like it the way it's broken up. It's like, okay, what are you in the mood to break down and digest? But maybe we could just sort of get into one of the things I was really fascinated about, and I could be botching it, the infradian rhythm. I want to talk about that. And I loved also how you sort of, in a great way, a positive way, weaponized our menstrual cycle as like, hey, here's a strategy during this time where this would be a good time to, you know, be eating less or more to be having difficult or better or easier conversations and sort of giving women a better understanding of what's happening. I have to say you're the first person to ever say that I've weaponized the cycle. That's really, really (laughs) interesting. No, and I know it in a great way. What I'm talking about in this book is biohacking for women, right? And and that yes. that needs to be different. So here, let me just, I'll back up. I'll go right into the infrared, but I want to just yep. back up and share why I wrote a second book. How long was Women, Women the Code, Woman Code? I, uh, was published in, Woman Code was published in 2013. And that book is the definitive guide on the flow protocol that we were just talking about. So if you're suffering from PCOS or fibroids or endometriosis, or your daughter is having issues, This is the book that's going to give you that step-by-step process of how to approach the endocrine system. And the Flow Living Center that I've built allows women from anywhere in the world to access our products Mm -hmm. and tools to help them resolve their hormonal issues naturally. But in, you know, I've been doing this almost for 20 years, 17 years now, and I, I started to notice a little bit of some disturbing statistics that, for example, 
47% of women are suffering from hormonal issues, whereas when we look at the male cohort, it's something like under 10%. So I started asking myself a question. The fundamental question I asked was, let's see, if we have now more conversation in the past five years, I don't know if you've been watching sort of like millennials on Instagram, free bleeding and really normalizing the conversation around menstruation. It's been a menstrual renaissance. For someone like me, it has been an extraordinarily historic time to watch it happening live, whereas for the entirety of recorded modern human history, we've had the extreme opposite, shame and right. you know, negative everything and, and hiding. It's been extraordinary. So I said, great, this is the beginning of everything changing, right? We have more information dispersed online we have more women who have access to the computer, to the internet. So we have more information, more access. Again, that should equal more healthy women. But then when I looked at the statistics, that this is getting worse. We have more women with PCOS, more women with endometriosis, more women with fibroids, more women with unexplained infertility. What is going on? And when I asked myself that question, it, it ended up, the answer ended up turning into this book, but really the two key things that I found was one, women in their reproductive years are being left out of medical fitness and nutrition research. And this is very dangerous. Okay. And I'll explain why. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. We're 50% of the people, maybe more. And yet, yeah, we're not in like medical or fitness studies. And I can't remember, there's a couple others. You're just like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's not great. And, and the medical <laughs> community at least has admitted this. You know, back in 1996, they put together a special task force to encourage researchers to include more women in their clinical, human clinical trials. But as of 2016, the status report update was that progress has been slim to none. So they, they know it's a problem. They yeah. have been trying to get to a solution, but it's just not happening yet. The other thing that I disc uncovered in my research was that women have an undiscussed and very little research second biological clock, and it's called the infradian <laughs> rhythm. And this infradian rhythm governs six key systems of your body, your brain, your metabolism, your microbiome, your immune system, your stress response system, and your reproductive system. So when we just zoom out from this for a minute and we say, gee, everything that you're trying, your diet programs, your fitness regime, whatever you're doing, it's not based on your biology. It's actively interrupting and disrupting this infradian rhythm. And it is having a negative effect on all of these six different systems of your body. No wonder almost half of the female population is struggling with her metabolism, her immune system, her reproductive system, her stress responses, her brain. All of these things are connected. Do you think when at a time when we lived, let's say more naturally, that somehow that this was incorporated in living, I don't want to say intuitively, but what you'll start to see in certain things like in food and certain customs was that these customs were developed, whether it was on purpose or through observation, because it worked. And I would say, uh, do you having been someone who, aside from my deep, I don't even know what the right word is, passionate affair with biology, also yeah. have a love of history, specifically about women's lives. And although we have 
as women like to fantasize that there was some time in the past where we were, you know, goddesses in the garden, let's say, and this was all working. Women's lives have been historically extremely difficult, treacherous, under extreme oppression, and not an easy situation at all. So that's what I would say to answer that question, that, okay. that it is it has never been a better time to be a female on this planet than today. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that um, my small contribution with this information can help us live even better for not just now, but for generations to come, because correcting this huge oversight is a fundamental step in us reclaiming our health and well-being, which is the foundation of us really reclaiming our full potential. How do you stumble upon the infradian rhythm? What is what leads you to this? And then maybe, you know, explain a little bit about coming out of our cycle, what that looks like. And as you know, we're moving towards our cycle, what that what that rhythm looks like. Well, I've, you know, I've been really interested and excited by the research that's been coming out of all the all the funding that's been going into looking at the circadian rhythm and looking mm-hmm. at this biological pattern that uh, everybody has, but also noticing that the male hormonal biological rhythm follows that circadian clock. And I started asking myself, well, we obviously have this cyclical pattern. What is that called? And I dug and dug and dug until I found the name. And I have to tell you, I've been doing podcasts with medical doctors who've never heard this before. And that's, it's a little bit shocking and also not surprising that I have happened to write the first book to include that phrase um, and to explain it. It's shocking because it shouldn't have been overlooked, um, but it's not surprising because we're left out of all this research, right? So, you know, it does make sense. But here we are. Now we know this. So the circadian rhythm is something that you experience over the course of the day. The infradian rhythm is something you experience over the course of your cycle. It is only active from your first bleed till your last. So you have about four decades on average where this infradian, which is four to five, which is like the vast majority of, you know, not the vast majority, we're all living longer, but it's a good solid chunk of your experience of your reality. This is really governing your, your quality of health and life, but it's been a total blind spot for all of us. Right. And so what we do instead is we think, Oh, this thing with my cycle and how I'm changing that needs to be somehow fitting into this 24 hour clock Mm -hmm. and the doing of that, which comes via you, let's say if you're in a heterosexual relationship with a man, you waking up at the same time with your male partner and doing the extended intermittent fasting in the morning, maybe having an upgraded coffee, maybe doing an intense workout early in the morning. You have now just done several different things to disrupt your infradian rhythm. And it will have, the whole day will be suboptimal for you from your brain down to your sex drive, but it will also affect you for weeks to come. And this is the thing that you don't know, that you must know, that I am on fire to teach you about. Because um, if you know this, you can stop making yourself sick. You can stop accidentally, inadvertently hurting your system 
and then having all of these symptoms that you think are disconnected, brain fog, moodiness, low sex drive, weight gain, inability to gain lean muscle, you name it, right? And you then spend all of your precious wild life energy, you're here, you are the unique snowflake the world needs for some reason, right? And instead of using your talents to solve you know, world problems, you're then on a treadmill, a, a hamster wheel, in fact, going nowhere fast, trying things that are not helping you. And you're spending a lot of your effort doing that and not getting results. And it's unfair to you. It's unfair to the people that you could be affecting in different ways. And I'm, I'm really invested in women just, you know, being in their total power. Why not? You know, what would happen if every woman was liberated from this concept of constantly working on herself? A, a quote that really hit me between the ovaries when I first heard it was given by Gloria Steinem. She said, you know, it's in the book. From a young age, little boys are taught to use their bodies as tools to master their environment, while little girls are taught to view their bodies as unending projects to work on. And I pause or highlight the, the difference in the verb, right? When you are using your body, you're in communion with yourself, right? But when you're viewing your body, you're sort of outside looking in, judging, not trusting, not in alignment, and it has massive yeah. trajectory impacts on how your life turns out. The difference is, and, and when I, why this is so important to know, is that men are taught about their circadian hormonal experience, right? They know whether they're given this exact scientific explanation or not, but that when they sleep, they make all their testosterone. When they wake up, it's pretty obvious to them if they've gotten a good night's sleep. If anybody has had a male partner, you'll know if he got a good night's sleep and made enough testosterone because it will be pointing at you first thing in the morning. And he's also waking up at, with a maximum dose of cortisol, which we all do first right. thing in the morning. That combination of cortisol and testosterone means that any man who's interested in being optimally fit and optimally successful and optimally satisfied sexually or otherwise mm -hmm. yep. is going to want to organize their lives to get to sleep as early as possible and to wake up at like four or five in the morning and do that power morning routine or whatever they want to call it. Mm -hmm. yeah. In fact, also the male brain, because it is less complex, requires less sleep every night to clean itself compared to female brains. The problem is we then wake up and try to do that same routine, but we do not have the same hormonal pattern happening at all. And it is very, very no. disruptive. But men take it a step further. They then also organize when they're doing their deep work, when they're having social meetings. They do this intuitively because the entire society, dare I say, you know, from my point of view as somebody who's interested in hormones, yeah. when I think of what is the patriarchy, the patriarchy is really just a a society that has organized itself around the male circadian hormonal pattern. And that is why corporate right. culture looks the way it does. Why is happy hour around 4, 35 o'clock? Because that's when men's testosterone level has dropped enough yes. where they can be social mm -hmm. for extended periods of time. Mm -hmm. And they're not- Yeah, 20 whole minutes, you know. Right. And then around <laughs> eight o'clock, they they're yeah. at the nadir of both testosterone and cortisol. They have to go into their man mm -hmm. cave 
and sleep and restore. This is also why biohacking is so popular among men because they know they fall off this energy cliff, this cognitive focus cliff, the stamina cliff. They have to do everything early in the morning to gain yeah. muscle, athletes, Olympic coaches. They know to train their male athletes at certain times of the day to generate particular results. It's all documented. It's all studied. It's all researched. Every diet fitness theory that has come out has been to optimize this male biological experience. And so biohacking, they're trying to now extend how much of their energy and stamina they can have in a day. And it's really giving them great results. It's really working for them. Yeah. I uncovered in my research, for example, it's so frustrating. You, I'm sure, have heard in the news, in any media outlet, intermittent fasting, high-intensity interval training. It's now the gold standard of how one should get healthy. Again, that is really true if you have testicles or if you are postmenopausal, right? right? But the research that has been done is that for women in their reproductive years, if you do intermittent fasting beyond 12 hours, you create the extreme opposite of all the benefits that it confers to every other cohort, which means for people who do intermittent fasting, you have improved brain function and cognition and memory you improve autophagy in the cells, which means your cells are performing healthy. You're going to live longer. Your immune system is support. Insulin response is improved. All of these huge benefits. Women in the reproductive years with an active infradian rhythm, it's the opposite. You worsen cognitive performance. You worsen insulin response. You gain weight. You disrupt the thyroid and you can shrink your ovaries. And so here we are. We're all such, you know, eager, earnest women. We want to do good to ourselves. We're reading this information. Mm -hmm. It would just be as simple as some good journalism to say, hey, this research was done on these cohorts, and it's not clear if this is applicable to this cohort, right? That's all I would like is just a little bit of transparency about the studies that are coming out. Instead of sensationalizing trends, let's be gender-specific right. or cohort-specific for whom this is beneficial. And of course, it's an oversight, I don't think because journalists are forgetting, but because it's part of this cultural blind spot of like, we just leave women out of research. We leave this concept out of conversation. It's just like, well, it's definitely good for this group, but I hope it works for women. And if not, they'll just continue to try to figure it out on their own. That is just not good well, enough. That, and also it's not necessary because we have the science to show what you can do to get well in a proven systematic way that works with your biology. We just need to stop all this unnecessary suffering. Yeah. Well, and it is true because uh, it is interesting because I feel like we're we're very much like we'll power through it exactly. um, quietly, you know, quietly maybe talk to a girlfriend like, hey, and it's interesting for me living with a, a very masculine, my husband is very masculine. Uh, it's actually both. He's very feminine and well, masculine. We're not talking about energies. We're not talking about the masculine and the feminine. Right. We're just talking about but, the man. But his... He has male, yeah, he has he has, he has male biological hormonal, you know, yeah. yeah. But what's interesting is because when I was a, a teenager and I, I really sort of got serious about athletics and I decided I would use my body as a tool, I remember the decision like, oh, this thing does stuff. Like my body takes me places and it moves up and down and like it's a tool. I want to experience it as a tool versus an object. I, I wanted to I wanted to experience not how does my butt look in these jeans. Right. What can this tool yeah. do? 
right? Is intuitively with my husband, uh, there's so many things that he does naturally that I go against. Well, not that you go against, because I'm like, no, don't work for you. That's what I mean. Like, I don't bring that into my practice because it doesn't feel right. And the funny thing is, until I read your book, a lot of it I didn't understand. But because I naturally was like, no, I've got to listen to myself. And I'm really excited for him. Like, look at him. He's killing it over there. I need to just chill out for a minute for whatever reason. And sometimes it could just be something happening in life. And sometimes maybe it is you're instinctively connected to the rhythm of what you're feeling. You know, this infradium rhythm, maybe if we had had a moment to connect more deeply with who we are versus hitting all the boxes, because we have checklists and we've got to get stuff done and we've got to deliver. So sometimes we ignore so much of what we're- Well, I think I would say the fact that you even have that recognition of that inner connection to what your body wants really comes from that decision that you made as a young person to to be in your body. Yes. And to not be But to play. Yeah. You had a positive you to play. You a positive relationship with your body. So if your body said no, you're like sure, no yeah. problem. Why wouldn't yeah. I listen to my body, right? But most young women they're not they're, taught. Well, and they have a negative relationship with their bodies. They're, they're, it just, it, it gets, the relationship gets off on the wrong foot. And I really think yeah. that at any age when you, you know, for example, for you now, now you, you know the science behind why in certain moments you are going to want to do different things with your physical care than what your husband is doing. Now you can tell him why, right? Instead of wondering yeah. why and trusting that it's okay, but just not knowing now you can put a name, you can name it and claim it. And that is extremely yeah. important. You know, I think Eve Ensler, was it 15 years ago? Did she write the vagina monologues? And that was yeah, really, more. I mean, it seems silly now to even say that we were so uh, unable to talk about and name and claim our body parts in that yes. way. But that was a watershed book for that purpose, that it really opened up a discussion to say that we can call ourselves by our accurate names, you know, our genitals, our body parts, or to actually name and claim that there's, and that changed. I mean, I don't think Sex in the City would have been created as a show, you know, if we didn't go on that journey, right, with ourselves. And I think similarly here, understanding that your biology is not, your hormones are not unpredictable, chaotic, mysterious, problematic. That is not what nature planned for you. Oh, 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 oh no. Not no. even remotely. So, so you're saying with the infradium rhythm and understanding that, and people can find the exacts um, in the flow is, you know, there's a time to eat more. There's a time to eat less. Uh, and there's even, what I love too is this idea of like, there's even certain times based on your cycle when to have, you know, when to sort of try something new or if you're well, going to build a business. Let's or, dig into a few examples know. just to, to make it really okay. relatable for people. So, for example, years ago in my practice, I had a young woman who came to me and she said, I really don't understand what has happened to me. I have been training for a triathlon and I've been either running, biking or swimming five miles each day for the past three months and I've competed. And at the end of this process, she had put on 20 pounds. And it literally defies all logic, right? Because she was training the same with the guys and it just didn't make any sense. And um, 
For some of you who may remember this commercial from a few years ago, I just love this example. Remember that that medication ally? I mean, it, or it was like a medication to help with weight loss, right? And it was like a little cartoon drawing of Pete and Susie go on a diet together. And after 30 days, Pete looks like a Grecian god and you watch his little stick figure like transform from pudgy to like really chiseled. But Susie's still fat and frustrated and she doesn't understand why. She needs help. You know, something is different with the female metabolism. We just don't know what it is. I found that to be not only unacceptable, but, you know, we can do so much better. And here's how. Here's what you need to know. Your infradian rhythm affects your metabolism in a very specific way. In the first half of your cycle, the follicular and ovulatory phases of your cycle, which is the week after you're done bleeding and the few days that you're ovulating. During that time, your metabolism slows down. And I'll talk about resting cortisol in a minute. So your metabolism slows down. You can eat fewer calories. And at the same time, because you have this rising and then peak surge of estrogen, you also need to eat specific foods that are going to help flush that estrogen out so that you don't break out on your chin or get ovarian pain called middle schmerz during ovulation or have any other sort of breast tenders or things that can happen when you have too much estrogen and you're eating foods that don't help you flush it out of your body. So we have that. In the second half of your cycle, the luteal phase, the 10 to 12 days leading up to your bleed menstruation, so the luteal and menstrual phases, your metabolism speeds up. You need precisely, as the research has shown, 279 more calories per day. Okay? This is not a, ooh, I, I should somehow try not to give myself those calories, just try to restrict myself even more. Because if you do, you will turn on fat storage and you will disrupt your endocrine system and your infradian rhythm. So you do not want to try to restrict calories the way that you can in the first half of your cycle. That is actually beneficial for you then and it is detrimental for you at the wrong timing. Let's go back to that first question you asked me, like, well, what are the foods to eat? And what I say is let's stop asking what and let's start asking when. When mm -hmm. is the right timing or time, according to my hormonal timing, to eat certain things or to do certain workouts? Because that's the correct question we have to ask as women. By, because that is also the question men are asking themselves too. It's what should I do when? Without the when, it's not going to work. So, so you're eating more calories, but you also because of this estrogen and progesterone thing that happens during the luteal phase, you need to eat specific foods that are going to keep your blood sugar stable and help you make more progesterone. Because why do we have PMS? We have PMS because we have too much estrogen that goes unopposed by progesterone in my progesterone hand. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't eat enough foods that promote the production of progesterone, you can have tremendous PMS symptoms and you can have cycle length variation, right? This is called a luteal right. phase defect where you can have not enough progesterone and your cycle can be either delayed by several days or shortened. So you feel like you're having two periods a month or something, right? Right. So there's this, right? There's just, just this understanding that you have a metabolic modulation or a shift in your metabolism throughout the month that you must address dietarily. Ignoring it is uh, in, insane. It makes no sense to do it once you understand the science. It is true for everyone. 
don't try to cheat yourself out of your 279 calories because you know when you do, you know those weeks before your period when you're still trying to like do what you think is a good diet and have a smoothie and a salad. What are you doing on the couch later that day? You know, you are <laughs> carbo loading because your body yeah. is so hypoglycemic that it is now in a crisis mode where you're going to be overeating. You've disrupted ghrelin and leptin. I mean, I can get into the technicalities, but yeah. you already know this anecdotally that if you don't proactively eat enough calories, your body will get them, whether you like it or not. And often we don't like it, right? So there's that. Let's look at the fitness piece, right? You have lower resting cortisol rates in the first half of your cycle, and you have higher resting cortisol rates in the second half of your cycle. What the research has found, and this is not just a nice suggestion that you should shift your workouts. The US women's soccer team is using this to train their female athletes. You must do all your high intensity cardio and interval training in the follicular and ovulatory phases. Once you pass ovulation, you must not do high intensity interval training. You can still do strength training all you want. Mm -hmm. It just has to be without a cardio component. Walking does not count. Walking is fine anytime, but you're going to do things like Pilates or hold a squat up against the wall for 10 minutes, whatever your version of strength training is, you can do that all you want. Um, but you cannot do this like jumping up and down, getting up a high intensity um, heart rate. And if you do that, you will optimize muscle gain throughout the month and you'll mm -hmm. optimize the, the utilization of your fat stores. So what that means in layman's terms is you're going to gain lean muscle, you're going to lose fat that you don't need. If you stick with that same workout, like you're like, no, I have to stick to my routine. I have to do the same workout every day. If I don't, I'm going to lose control. You know, we're, we're afraid of our bodies because we don't know the science. So we think that the, mm -hmm. if we have a ritual that we hold on to, the same, the same, the same every day, like the men are doing, then maybe we'll get those results. If you keep doing that in the second half, you're going to turn on fat storage and turn on muscle wasting. So this is why Susie, compared to Pete, at the end of the month, is still fat and frustrated. And this is why my client, after training for a triathlon, for goodness sakes, gained 20 pounds because she was ignoring, yeah. as, as all the research has as well, the infradian rhythm's effect on our metabolism. So in the book, in chapter four, there is the, the food chart, so you know what mm -hmm. to eat when. And in chapter five, there's the fitness charts, you know, which workouts to do when. And there's plenty of, of variety in both. You are not going to feel deprived or like you're not working out. And this is by no means like, oh, you don't work out when you're having your period. No, you do. Yeah. You just modulate, you change what you're doing, the intensity of it based on what is happening hormonally. And it is game changing. This is how I've maintained a 60 pound weight loss for 20 years. Do you think it's real? Because uh, I... I feel like I've taken very, pretty good care of myself over the years. And um, I do feel like coming up to my, my period that, you know, uh, and I'm deep, you know, I, again, I feel like I'm evenly pretty even keeled, but I do feel more emotional both ways. Like I could get angry and it's more inside. Like sometimes the kids will do something and it's like an electric storm. And I'm like, I think I'm going to kill them. You know, <laughs> I can explain um, why that's or, happening to you. It's not a mystery. Yeah. Um, no, it, and it isn't, and, and my husband's so smart in this way, like, and why lately I have to have my cycle on the full moon, you know, it's like the double pull whammy well, sometimes. Well, you the and beach, I think, so that's a whole different thing. 
Yeah. So it's just like, you know, you're sleeping and, and there's a part of me, and I know this is how a lot of women are, is it's like, you think I don't want to succumb or give into this or be a cliche and that, yes. But then there's another part of me that's like, yeah, no, this is how, this is where I'm at right now. And I'm, you know, the weather is sometimes have clouds and sometimes it's sunny. And that is also part of being who I am as a female being. Um, and I'm not like losing my mind, but I do notice that uh, I'm like, oh, I, I feel different. And Laird is so funny because he'll see it and he'll be like, the moon is full. Maybe some of the girls in this house are close to their cycle. Let's just take a pause. And like he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't try to like, he he just tries to say, Hey, let's take it easy. You know, Um, my other favorite thing he does. And and then I want to hear from you is every once in a while, he'll be watching me and then he'll go, do you know, like, if you're like, if like what time of the month it is. And I'm like, listen, this is how I'm really feeling. And I swear to you, like in five minutes from that moment, I'll start bleeding. And I'm just like, damn it. You know, like, it's almost like I'm tuning it out so much that I, I don't even, you know, see it. So let me explain what is happening because I want, I want to say two things. I want you to know what's going on, but I also want to really paint a comparison just to drive a point home. And that'll be the first thing that I do. Men have these same mood fluctuations within a 24-hour period. The difference is because the patriarchy is set up to support their hormonal experience of reality, they are not conditioned to judge themselves for their hormonal moments ever. They don't even have a thought, I'm being hormonal, because this is just how their reality is and they do not attach a pejorative statement to it ever, never. It does not take place. Why would it? They've structured the entire world to revolve around their biology. So mm-hmm. if it's, so then it must all be good and valuable. And yeah. if they're feeling tired, they want to honor that. If they're feeling upset about something, they want to articulate that. If they're feeling energized about something, they want to go do it now. If they're in the mood for sex, they will ask. <laughs> it is, there's no inner dialogue about, it's an immediate, I feel this, I would like this. I am going mm. to do this. There's no, am I really feeling this? Should I trust myself? <laughs> oh, I'm being hormonal. There's no filter. The difference between you and Laird is that he does not judge his hormones and you have been conditioned and trained for your entire experience of life to judge right. them. And you, the reason why that only holds any water, that judgment and that conditioning holds any water is because it's predicated on keeping us in the dark about our actual, the facts about our biology. And once you read this book, you will not ever be in the dark again, and there'll be no more judgment. So that's the first important, important thing. The second important thing is, let me explain why that happens. So estrogen is a very socially lubricating hormone from a brain chemistry point of view. When estrogen is surging in certain regions of your brain, you are extremely verbal, extremely social, very interested in caretaking others, okay? 
this affects men too, just at a smaller window in the afternoon. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it's so true. <laughs> so, okay. So this happens to you for about half of the month. You're outwardly focused and interested in socializing and also anything that is, let's say, slightly irritating to you, the lubrication uh, emotionally that estrogen provides allows you to just brush it off more easily. It does not bother you as much, right? So if you're, if you're in your ovulatory phase and your kid comes home with a tattoo, I'm trying to create some extreme situation, you're actually going to respond the least the least upset way. You'll be upset, but you're going to be able to communicate yeah. more effectively at that time because of how estrogen is affecting the social and verbal centers of your brain during ovulation. During the luteal phase, not the first half, because in the first half of the luteal phase, it's the longest phase of the cycle. It's 10 to 12 days. In the first half, estrogen and progesterone are rising. So you're still able to have some of the same effects of estrogen as you did during ovulation. And you have the introduction of progesterone, which is very calming and soothing hormones, very relaxing. It helps you deal with stress and anxiety. To wonder, I mean, nature has set you up to feel really good, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you, for a long time. Then as you go into the second half of luteal phase where you don't conceive and there's no pregnancy and then you're, the hormones are starting to dip off where you're going to turn, start menstruating, as estrogen recedes in the brain chemistry cocktail, right? You are less stimulated to be verbal and social. You and progesterone is also leaving the building too. So you're not as relaxed, right? Which means that the things that you were able to brush off and just talk yourself out of being upset about, like, oh, I understand why that happened. I'll just let it go, right? Now, the hormonal cocktail in your brain is really interested in you prioritizing you. I have yep. renamed PMS as prioritizing myself. So anything that has happened in the month, let's say you're with a partner mm. and they have consistently, despite your request, done something that is really bothering you, right? You may not say anything, say anything, say anything. And then during the week before your bleed, you have mm -hmm. to say it. Any <laughs> woman who's going through perimenopause will tell you that this is her perpetual state. And that's a really <laughs> valuable thing. In fact, if, if you are in a marriage that can go through the, the you telling the truth all the time about your feelings to your partner, that's a good marriage to be in. And per perimenopause really does. Um, lay a powerful foundation for a healthy relationship for both parties when they are andropausal and menopausal. I think it's a right. very powerful time that's really, again, well, just like PMS is joked about, like, oh, I shouldn't trust my feelings now, or also perimenopause gets a bad rap and it should not. But don't you think it's also like, hey, listen, we've procreated. The reason for us coming together is kind of over. So are we together going in this next chapter because we actually really like each other or should we call it? That's a nice way to think about it. Like, you know, there's a whole section in the book about really looking at the life stages of a relationship. They mirror yeah. the stages of your cycle. And that's one of the benefits of using this method I created called the cycle thinking method. You know, I, I talk about the infrading rhythm, but I also created this approach called the cycle thinking mm -hmm. method. If you practice that in your reproductive years, in your relationship, there's a whole chapter on your relationship, you will 
use each phase of the cycle to develop skills, different types of communication and intimacy skills, emotional intimacy skills that really serve you as you go through your midlife transition in perimenopause and beyond. It's a wonderful practice on so many levels, not just from the health point of view, but really make sure that you you know, use all your hormonal powers for your benefit and for your family's benefit. A little anecdote is I always tell women, if they're on the fence about uh, whether or not to stay in a relationship, that the best time, first of all, you want to you wanna track the issues that you're having with your partner, mm-hmm. track them through two to three cycles. And if you're clear that you feel the same way in this predictable way about your partner's behavior and how it's impacting you negatively, then prepare yourself to break up with them and wait until the second half of your luteal phase because it will be very Mm -hmm. effortless for you using your hormonal ratio that is present at that time Mm -hmm. to speak your truth, to be respectful of the other person and honor them and to end that relationship in a positive way. It's a very powerful time. Women have been taught to distrust it because it is just so powerful, but really that's not to your benefit, of course. So I hope that I hope Great. that you, as you dive into the book and really understand yeah. how this infradian rhythm affects your brain chemistry throughout the month, you are going to be amazed at all the different superpowers you get access to at different times. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you can do anything at any time. But if you want to make no, life but- easier, which men do all the time, yeah. they front load activities when it is cognitively optimal for them. They do their deep work yeah. in the morning, not at night, if they can, if they can right? You can do the same and you should. And there's a whole yeah. time management system in here that incorporates the circadian and infradian clocks so that you can start to manage your time and decrease your stress, get more done with less effort. There's a chart for what to do in your relationship, which activities to do to, to really enjoy it more. There's a whole chart about how to optimize your sexual response because I, as we mentioned, 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied. This has to do with the fact that we have a blind spot about how our infrading rhythm affects our sexual response across the month. Um, knowing that means that instead of you feeling like, oh, gee, sometimes it's fireworks and I don't know why. And sometimes it's yeah. flat and I don't know why. Mm. Now you just can know exactly how to architect yeah. pleasurable response every time. And you don't have to, this is not yeah. something that's meant to be mysterious, but it just has been because we haven't been given enough airtime in research and we're, we're overlooking this key biological rhythm, which affects absolutely everything about you. I really appreciate, you know, and I actually, I, I so appreciate that it's you, you have, presented this also as biohacking because that is a modern language that almost go, then we'll say, well, oh, okay, I can biohack it. Because it's interesting about, I find with women, we make it in ways, um, I I read this book called The Culture Code once. And one of the things they said, okay, so you know when they said like L'Oreal was going to come to America, in France or in Europe, all the images were just her being beautiful and sexual and like in her essence. And in the US, they were like, yeah, no, 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 we can't do that. Oh, because I'm worth it. Right? Like we have to make a reason for all the reasons why we would do this for ourselves. So biohacking, well, that's very productive. And you know, all of these things. And I just really appreciate the fact that I'm I'm trying to, uh, you know, for people to realize and 
and because I am in this, I've been in this a long relationship over, you know, almost 24 years with somebody who likes women, but who's also hyper-masculine. Like, I love the idea of not explaining. Like, I need to figure out you, you creating in the flow for women to say, here's a tool for me to understand what I need to do for myself while I'm doing everything for everybody else and trying to live in this world that is set up, maybe not for me. So how do I navigate that the best way that I can? Because it's a tool. And, and uh, I think that that as we get crazier and faster and more sped up and there's more demands on us, we need these tools to help, you know, make our way through it. So besides in the flow, um, you have a virtual people from all around can access your products and information. Tell yeah. me just how that works. So if works. you're if you're excited about what you've been learning about today with us on our conversation and you want to dive deeper, you can go to intheflowbook.com and there's lots of free goodies there for you to download and start cycle using the cycle syncing method. If you know that this is a new, you know, if you're tired of suffering with paleo and keto and IF and HIIT training and you want the, the roadmap, then you should join us in the Cycle Syncing Membership. Uh, that's CycleSyncingMembership.com. You're going to get grocery lists, recipes, meal plans for each phase of your cycle, workout videos for each phase of your cycle, all sent to you. It's so fun. And a community yeah. to ask questions as you transition into this new way of biohacking that is unique for women in the reproductive years. And if you're someone who's actively struggling with hormonal problem, a diagnosed menstrual disorder, and you need to resolve that um, first so that you then can really start doing cycle syncing, you want to go to flowliving.com. We have um, a variety of programs and tools and one-on-one -on -one support that we do have been doing virtually since 2011 that you can access um, to help you address these issues naturally. And I mean, the, the point here is that I think that one, you want to understand that whatever is happening with your period, even if it happened to your mom or your aunts, it's not, you are not destined to suffer with a curse. You can change right. your hormonal destiny very quickly with the flow protocol. And then the other thing with this new book is really to, you know, one, I wanted to blow the lid off of sort of this gender bias that we have in fitness and nutrition and biohacking. And, 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 and I wanted to really put forward this idea that, yes, that's not great. Okay. But it is what it is. Let's acknowledge the ways biologically that we are different and need different support and let that be a source of a newfound equality, right? Like you were saying before, mm -hmm. you don't have to explain, you don't have to try to compete. You don't have to try to do the same thing. You just need to do you and stand in your mm -hmm. own skin and do what helps you thrive. I think it's just really an exciting opportunity to not only do that yeah. for yourself, but if you do have children, especially daughters, to model that for them, especially if they're coming through their pubescent journey, um, to have them yeah. see what it looks like to take care of yourself once your infradian rhythm is activated. I think it's really a gift as a mom that you can give your daughter to, to show her this early on because it will, yeah. it will affect the trajectory of her future. So I think that I was thinking how fortunate your daughter is to have you. I have three daughters, you know, two who are in the 
rhythm already and a, one who's probably about to launch in the next year or so. What I love so, about the, I, for, for the teens and for moms, they often find that by downloading the app that I created called MyFlow, yeah. so it's MyFlowTracker.com, mm-hmm. your daughters can, without you know, engaging with you, if that's not their thing, right. you know, because by, the problem is by the time they're teenagers, it's a little too late to, in a way to start yeah. this conversation. You want to have started this conversation in age appropriate ways at five, at seven, at nine, at 11. It's probably going to be my next book. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. what you do want to do is just make sure that they have a source of truth that they can go to. And what's great about the app that I built is let's say they're having a symptom. They can click on mm-hmm. the symptom. They can learn why they're having it from a functional medicine point of view. And they can get recommendations from a food point of view that they can go and talk to you about. Like, hey, mom, I need right. to eat some cilantro. Do we have any? And then you guys can have a conversation. Yep. It can spark yep. a conversation with each other. But it also will teach them about their infradian rhythm and tell them which activities to do when, which workouts to do when. It, it, takes, it takes all the pressure off of you as the mom teen years to have to make her listen to you. She can download a cool app that is the one of the top 10 best paid health and fitness apps on iTunes. So it's cool enough on its own that she doesn't have to, you know, think that she's getting it from you. Yeah. And I have, one of my daughters is a very active, uh, plays tennis. And, and I think sometimes it would just also be about armoring her with a forgiveness to yourself about like, Oh, why do I feel more tired today or this or that? Right. It's like, and I try to, I try to tell her, listen, we're, we're different at different times of the month. But like you said, what do we say that the home saint performs no miracles? It's like <laughs> sometimes good to get it yes, from the outside. Place. Yeah. Yeah. So the my tracker is a great tool for that. And, and for women in general who are learning, um, who will also need to learn. I mean, teens are, um, need to learn about it because they're coming, if they're, you know, they're just entering, well, but most adult women have been deprived do. of this information. So it's a good tool for yes. us all to in, take yeah. my, instead of having to like memorize the encyclopedia information, yeah. it's just at your fingertips in bite-sized ways when you need it. So before I let you go, I have, I have uh, just one little question. Cause I, I s- still have my cycles and they, they sort of shortened. They used to be, you know, on the date, a 30 day cycle. Now they're sort of, I'm 50. So now they're moving uh, three, you know, they sort of go three days back so that's just like from a the last one. That's showing that your body's a little less progesterone. Yeah. Okay. My whole thing is I, I have intuitively thought whether it's from, you know, Chinese medicine or just sort of being around you know, self-care for a while is I'd like to actually prolong my cycle. I'd like to keep that bad boy as long as possible. Do you ever have ideas about that? I mean, obviously taking care of yourself and probably I would imagine if you get into a good infradium rhythm, that probably helps that. See, now this sounds like you've read the book. Yes, of course, because the more you take care of your cycle in your reproductive years, the in fact, I we wrote we have a weekly blog that we like to think is the bleeding edge of women's health information or news. <laughs> yeah. A couple of years ago, two years ago, I think it was, and I, I wrote about it in the book. The New York Times posted some research because it was so newsworthy because it was done on women, you know, <laughs> and it showed that women in perimenopause, if they increase the ser- the frequency of servings of beans and high omega three mm-hmm. fatty acid fish to like two or yep. three times a week, you could actually delay perimenopause and menopause by two to three years. 
So what that is hugely empowering information, backing up all the research that I've been doing, saying that what you eat definitely impacts your hormones and the quality of their health, right? So you are designed by nature to have your cycle for as long as possible. The fact that a lot of women feel like they're experiencing perimenopause very early is a sign of a lifelong disrupted infradian rhythm uh, in you know d- uh, d- highly depleted micronutrient stores in the body overexposure to synthetic hormones which we didn't get a chance to talk about it's all very disruptive and forcing yourself yeah. to live in that circadian way stressing out every system of your body is going to age you prematurely so right the yes the big answer to your question is the more you care for your infradian rhythm and you use the cycle syncing method the longer you'll have your cycle being healthy for you at the same time Everyone starts perimenopause at 35, just like everybody starts puberty at nine. It takes a long time to go through these things so that they're not uh, extremely difficult to go through, right? You'd have one, you could potentially have one hot flash and explode if it happened overnight, you know, you don't, so the body really goes very slowly for you. Yeah. And, And that's lovely. But you can, even where you are, right, knowing that you're having just this small symptom, which is such a testament to how well, you've been taking care of yourself, you can start to use micronutrients like vitamin Mm -hmm. B6 or some adaptogens like maca to help you make a little bit more progesterone to have your cycle stay Mm -hmm. as regular as you can, right? And that would be something that would be a very great thing for you to do and start the cycle syncing method because that's really going to help support your cortisol. For example, doing the wrong workout in the second half of your cycle, the luteal phase, with that elevated resting level of cortisol that you already have, you're now adding additional stress. And let's say you do it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, even worse, right? Now we're compounding the bad things. You're going to create an adrenaline response that then requires your body to even make more cortisol. But since you're already making more at rest during this phase, it's now going to have to steal from the mother hormone pregnenolone, which is then going to make it mean that you can't make enough progesterone that day. And you're doing that in your luteal phase. And what do you need in your luteal phase to prevent PMS? More progesterone than estrogen. And what do you need to have a a normal cycle length? Progesterone. So again, if you were to really just focus on shifting your workouts, you could probably get your cycle to where you would like it to be pretty quickly. Everything is fluid. Everything you can affect. It's a cause and effect. If you follow the function of your body with the form of the right form of self-care, the function of your body you know, really shines. I'm so grateful for this conversation and for the work that you're doing. And I know that it was not easy for you, but I'm also really grateful that you had to go through your own experience that pushed you into this field. And um, I also feel like that's very, it's like a real metaphor for how life is. It's like we pay sometimes for these things that end up being usually they are our gift and um, you're, you know, the example of your own journey is now we're all benefiting from it. So the book is in the flow. And then to get started, if somebody just wanted, yes, if somebody wanted to get started, uh, what's the best website just so they can start, whether they want to go to the app or they want to get the program or um, you'd either go, you can go to flowliving.com that has links to everything. Great. Perfect. Perfect. Thank Amazing. you for having me, Gabby. Such a pleasure.
Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.